Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mental Matchup, a podcast where we hope to shed light on one of the hardest competitions an athlete will ever face, the matchup against their own mind. I'm Kat, and today I sit down with Emily Perrin to chat about a few different kind of topics, tools, tricks that you can use and just kind of discover and, and it, the role it can play in your, your day-to-day. Um, if you haven't already, check out part one of this episode where we really dive into Emily's journey, uh, her mental health journey growing up through, you know, today. It's it's an awesome episode. There are a lot of great learnings. Um, so you can head to that one. It's episode 107. Today, however, we are going to chat with Emily, who is a former D1 athlete and coach who understands firsthand the pressure and demands that athletes face. Through these experiences, she has worked with athletes and organizations through her company, Parent Wellness and Performance. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing mindfulness to check in and gain awareness, validation, concept of compassion and self-compassion, breath work, and movement. I'm really excited for everyone who's listening to get right into it. So with that, let's chat with Emily. Welcome back to the Mental Matchup. I am so excited for this episode. I love being able to bring people on who are, I like to call like experts, learning experts in their fields to really give the audience tangible tips, tricks, things that they can try out and see if they fit, if they don't. But I love making things more accessible because I think when it comes to mental health, there are a lot of things that are inaccessible. So whatever mm, we can yeah. do to, you know, provide tools, test them out, see if they work. Um, I'd love for you to give the audience a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what you do if they haven't listened to part one of, you know, kind of your series on the mental matchup. Yeah. Um, yes. Excited to be back. This is going to be a great episode. Um, lots of stuff that I just love to teach, love to to give people. And you're right, so much of mental health, um, our healthcare system, unfortunately, um, makes support uh, inaccessible. So I'm a huge fan of, you know, how do we make um, so much of this, you know, the journey around mental health is accessibility. So um, excited to be here. I am a mental health therapist. My background is in uh, social work, clinical social work, um, which I got into to that work by way of having a business, parent wellness and performance for about five years now, doing mindfulness training, mindfulness and performance coaching with elite athletes. Um, I am a former division one athlete. I played soccer, EVA, and then I coached for three years um, at the University of Pennsylvania before leaving coaching and kind of transitioning and pivoting into the work that I do now. Um, I am also, uh, Morgan's message is, if that even is a word, uh, <laughs> director of uh, our medical advisory council. Amazing. Um, so today we're going to go through, I think like four bigger kind of pockets, using mindfulness to check in and gain awareness, validation and compassion, breath work and movement. So to kind of give the lay of the land for the audience, but to kick us off, let's dive into mindfulness to check in and gain awareness. Yeah. I love mindfulness. I think mindfulness is obviously like, it's what I do. It's a large part of what I do for a living, but it's been a large part of my own journey with mental health. Um, and at a foundational level, mindfulness is a one, it's, it's a way of being, right? We can be mindful as people, but it's also a skill that we can train. It's a 2,500 year old concept that comes from both kind of Buddhist and Hindu um, philosophy and theory. Um, and it is a cornerstone of many uh, clinical interventions um, because of this awareness and insight piece, right? So let's go over just the definition, uh, mindfulness. And I use the definition from John Kabat-Zinn, um, who is a, a 
doctor here in the United States and been, um, he's the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction and really been at the forefront of kind of bringing mindfulness to the United States. But mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. And many people associate with mindfulness this like, oh, being present and being really focused. And we don't often associate this non-judgment piece. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that we as humans, we judge, we judge a lot. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of information out there about the negativity bias and the brains are negative and yada, yada. And we kind of tend to villainize that. And I just, I don't think it's worth it. I think when we actually look at it, it makes a ton of sense that our brains are wired for negativity because it's what has kept us alive. It's what keeps us safe. We don't need to villainize that. We just need to understand how to balance that out. And that's what mindfulness is about. So it's not just about being present and coming to our experience with focus or intention. It's about doing that with this very balanced kind of trying to remove the judgment attitude. And so one of the ways this can be really helpful for us and our overall well-being, but particularly our mental health, right, is using mindfulness to really assess and gauge how we're doing, what we're feeling in the moment. And so I kind of think of it. And when I, when I talk to athletes about this, I, I really get them to kind of, I'm a huge, like, you know, uh, metaphor and, and imagery person. Right. So I kind of get them to think about like, we don't walk around our day-to-day lives being super, super mindful, right. Maybe in pockets and maybe some people are, you know, more than others, but like, I try to get my athletes to think about being mindful as like something that you're stepping into almost that you're like putting a little hat on. Right. And like, you're all of a sudden going to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to come to this moment right here, right now with a little bit of mindfulness. And so that's how I think it can be really helpful to kind of frame, like how we check in with ourselves. So a really simple practice that, um, again, it can seem really elementary, but it's actually pretty profound is what I call just a mindful check-in. And so a mindful check-in just kind of starts by saying, okay, I'm going to transition into this kind of more mindful lens, this more mindful presence. And in this moment right here, right, I am going to A, notice where I am in time and space, right? And uh, quite literally, like sometimes like look around. And, And the reason for that is that we have phones and we have technology. And if you're anything like me, like I was walking home from cycle class this morning and like I was on my phone. I was not even paying attention to the fact that there was a marathon going on, right? In Baltimore, right? Like, so we, we are not very present human beings. We spend a lot of time, right? Not focused heads in our phones, heads in technology, but then also thinking about the past and thinking about the future. So when we're, when we're stepping into this mindful lens and we're saying, okay, well, where am I actually in time and space? Look around, like, what am I doing? Right? Like bringing this kind of more intentional awareness and and presence, right? To right here, right now. And then we go, okay, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Okay, three simple things, right? Where am I in time and space, right? Like, what am I doing right now? What am I feeling? What am I thinking, right? And again, we're doing that by way of removing the judgment. So what this is not doing, and this is a very common experience for many of us, right? It's like, oh, my brain feels a little chaotic and I'm feeling overwhelmed. Oh crap. Shoot. I don't want to be overwhelmed, man. Dang it. Why am I overwhelmed? I shouldn't be overwhelmed. I should have all my, excuse my French. I should have all my shit together. Right. We judge, right. We judge our experience. We invalidate. We're going to get into validation next. Right. But we, we spend a lot of time actually invalidating, not liking, resisting our experience. And so when we're stepping into this mindful check-in, it's all is welcome. Think about how freeing that attitude is, right? Just from that standpoint, right? Like all is welcome. I love that phrase, right? And especially when it gets into kind of this emotional piece of like, what am I feeling? Like all emotions are welcome, right? In this time and space, when I'm checking in with me, right? All is welcome, right? All is fair, okay? I am just attending to and tapping into how am I doing? Where am I, right? Right here, right now, okay? And I'm not gonna judge that. And that is a really beautiful thing because that actually lays the foundation for us to gain an accurate sense of what we are actually experiencing so that we can then go, okay, my brain feels a little chaotic and I'm a little overwhelmed. What do I need? Right? What do I need to do? 
as opposed to coming from this place of, I don't like it. I don't want it. I shouldn't feel this way. Right. Like just think about the two paths there. Right. I mean, it can be such a, and this has been such a game changer in again, navigating like my own anxiety and like coming from this place of like, okay, you know what? All is welcome here. Right. I'm just going to get kind of the raw data of what my experience is using this lens called mindfulness. Right. And now I'm going to go, oh, okay. That's, that's really my experience right now. Let me accurately attend to it. Right. Totally different path. Okay. So that's kind of the first, and it's, again, it's not a, it's not rocket science, right? Um, but it can actually be really profound. So my question is, as someone who tends to like judge what I'm feeling at times, like how do you get to, because it's, I feel like it's like very much so like, oh yeah, like all is welcome. But to me, I'm like, all is welcome. Then you're like, what the hell are you talking about, Kat? Like, what do you mean all is welcome? All is not welcome, right? Like, is it <laughs> is it repetition? Is it yeah. like kind of being like, okay, I'm feeling this way. I need to just like take, to, like, how do we get to a place where we can consistently, maybe it's not consistent and it probably looks different for everyone, but start to kind of brush, like practice brushing the judgment away to yeah. get there. It's a great question. So one, right. I want to start by saying so much of whether it's mindfulness training, whether it's any mental or emotional intelligence or skill, right? Like these are for many of us learned things. So think about it. And I would assume a lot of athletes are listening. Like let's take lacrosse. If you're a college lacrosse player, Chances are you did not pick up a lacrosse stick yesterday and all of a sudden you're playing college lacrosse, right? Think about how many hours, right, of training, technical, tactical, speed and agility, weight room stuff, right? The practice that you've put into, right, the sport of lacrosse. A lot of this is the same way, right? When I first, you know, coming off of like inpatient the second time, right, I didn't learn this stuff about mindfulness and read about it and start to like, you know, implement and all of a sudden, like I could just step into, you know, non-judgment. Right. And everything was happy go lucky. Right. You're exactly right. Like you have to practice it. Like we have to, and half the battle with mindfulness, I always say is like remembering, right. To, to make those little pockets of, okay, I'm going to come at my experience like this and also understanding, right. Part two of this is understanding that like, I'm not asking us to live here 24 seven, right? We, one, we don't need to, two, we can't. Um, I still like, I'm a therapist. I do mindfulness every single day and I still spend a heck of a lot of time judging my experience, right? It's being able to a one, right? I said at a foundational level, mindfulness is about insight and awareness. So being able to catch yourself in those moments, right? And be like, oh, yep, I'm doing it again, Right can I make that quick transition? Right. And yes, a lot of times it, it is going to be a process of repetition. And so what this might look like, right. Um, I'll give you a great personal example. Like last week I was dealing with just a lot of like kind of, kind of stress, but also maybe teetering a little bit of burnout. Right. And just feeling like really down. Um, and so this was a kind of a, a repetitive practice. Right. And I say practice because we can't ever master any of this stuff. Right. A repetitive practice over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? Of just this like, okay, checking in, right? Not liking where I'm at, taking a deep breath and saying, okay, yep, I'm I'm having that resistance again. I'm not liking this experience again, right? Okay, let me come at this from a mindful lens, right? Let me, and this is going to really tie into a lot of the validation and compassion that we're going to talk about next, right? Using it because mindfulness and compassion very much go hand in hand, Um using the mindfulness, using the compassion, right. And, and being able to kind of meet myself where I am, support myself in that moment, right. Drop that judgment. And maybe two hours later, right. I'm right back in that experience. Right. And so I have to, what I call rinse and repeat, and that's okay. Right. Especially when we're in some of these really difficult places, like we need to understand. And we talked a little bit about this in the previous episode that like, y'all, no two minutes in our lives are the same, right? Like everything is always changing, right? It's the law of impermanence. Nothing stays the same, right? And so really knowing that 
mindfulness, right, is not, it's not a destination and it's not a quick fix. And it doesn't nest, it doesn't always just fix things, right? And so much of mental health and something I really try to instill in both my clients and my athletes is like, we're not always looking to fix and solve. We're looking to A, meet ourselves where we are, be with ourselves in this, this experience, knowing that life is really hard, right? And and it is about, right, sometimes the moment to moment kind of tending to our experience. And that is what this is about, right? And I think mindfulness allows us to kind of meet that ebb and flow of emotion and judgment and the complexity of being human. That's what we're going for. Does that help answer your question? It does. The last thing I want to say before we move on to validation and compassion, I'm thinking about in my everyday, it can be hard to like tell yourself like, okay, let's have a mindful moment. Would you say maybe a starting place is setting an alarm or like doing something that almost you have to, you stop and you say, okay, this is a great reminder for me to just take a second. Like, is that kind of a tangible way to, I guess, like start, start off. Cause I I think of when in my life, I'm like, this is awesome. And then it's like, you get through your day, it's eight o'clock, you're in your bed and you're like, huh, I don't think I did that little mindfulness thing that I said I was going to do today. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, hundred percent. You're getting at like a lot of this is twofold, right? Meaning um, we need to absolutely be proactively dedicating, right? Some, some space for this stuff, right? To really start to kind of teach both our mind and our body. And, and right. That then opens the door, right. To do it more organically, like in the moment. So what I would say is, yeah, I, oh my gosh. Like when I was first, um, doing a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, I set an alarm on my phone. Um, another thing that we can do is a habit stack. So like, um, attach mindfulness, right. Or, um, you know, a a mindful moment or a mindful check-in with something that we always already do. So for example, like when I wake up in the morning, um, I always get up, use the restroom, go down, have water and sit on the couch and have my coffee. Right. So you could attach, right. That onto having your coffee. Right. So kind of like habit stacking, meaning like attach it to things that include it in things that you're already doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that you're not having to like carve out extra time for it. If that makes sense. Yes. I love a habit stack. Um, validation and compassion. Give us the tea. What's all, what's this about? Yeah. And those, these, these very much tie into mindfulness, right? Um, You know, I think mindfulness is, and Kristen Neff is um, someone that is such a great uh, follow. Her work is tremendous. She's at the University of Texas. Um, She does a lot in the mindful self-compassion space, right? And and mindfulness really opens the door, paves the path for self-compassion, right? Because so much of compassion and self-compassion is removing the judgment, right? Um, So let's start with validation. Um, we talked a little bit about this in, in episode one that we did, but val- like to validate something, right. means to, um, like acknowledge, uh, that it's real and true, right. To, to believe, um, and self-validation is such an important piece of navigating our mental health because of this, the, the judgment, quite frankly, that we place on our experience. And a lot of times working ourselves into this conflict of, okay, this is how I feel, but I shouldn't really feel this way. Right. Um, and so much of this, I also want to remind people that like, so much of this is, is due the, the reason we invalidate. Um, and it is because of, I think the overarching societal issue with mental health, right. And this push for uh, positivity and happiness and right. Like we constantly send a message of like, don't be sad, be happy. Right. Like, um, and so then many of us who hit those places feel fundamentally wrong for how we are feeling. Right. When actually many times sadness is excellent and normal way to feel given the circumstances, right? So um, the validation piece, right? I think self-validation is a skill that we, I mean, gosh, even as again, a therapist, someone that does this stuff for a living is we can always be, be learning and growing in, but I think it's a really important skill. And so what does it look like to self-validate? Well, what it looks like is to give yourself permission to feel how you feel and give yourself permission to 
be in your experience, which can be really difficult, right? So I'm a huge fan of kind of laying out um, a a series of ways to self-validate because we all need to find our own flavor on self-validation, meaning how I talk to myself and how I validate myself may not be how you might want to do that, right? Because we all are unique. We all need different things. So I'll give you a great example, right? How I self-validate myself, right, is actually a very um, kind of, um, uh, it is extremely loving, but it also comes from, you know, my demeanor and kind of like being, being a coach, right? Being someone that spends a lot of time validating other people, right? So how I validate myself, right, if I'm feeling really anxious or I'm feeling really sad, it's like very much like, you know, um, it's okay to feel how you feel. It's okay. It's okay right? It's, it's really okay that you're anxious right now, right? There's nothing wrong with you. Um, you're not broken, right? It's, it's okay to be anxious because being anxious is actually part of life, right? So that, so, so you'll notice, right. That kind of the, the tone of my voice, the style of language that I'm using, like that's very me, right? That's how I, that's kind of how I talk. That's how I relate to the world. Um, that might not be right. What feels best for you. Right. So I really encourage people to kind of, and if honestly, if you just like probably Google like self-validation, right. Or self-validation phrases, right. Like do a little, do a little exploration with this, right. Like, and some of this can be, um, also, um, coming off, um, thinking about previous times where other people have validated you. Right. So for me, I really draw on like personally, like my sister and my mom. Right. And a lot of their tone and style is exactly that. Right. Like my mom is very much like, it's okay. And she'll send some kind of emoji. Right. Like, um, so, so drawing from other people that have validated you in the past. Right. And so kind of then crafting this, this style, this, um, you know, this response that you can really give yourself to meet you where you are. Right. And uh, because again, we cannot actually accurately attend to and navigate our experience if we're not validating it. Right. That's the, that's the foundational kind of starting point. Right. So the skill of self-validation and again, holy cow, if we have spent our entire lives being invalidated, particularly by other people, our families, society, all the above, that can be really challenging. And that's something that, you know, we need help doing, right? That's what therapy can be great for. That's what, you know, safe, loving connection can be great for, right? Really starting to kind of dip our toe in the water there because it can be incredibly uncomfortable and hard for people. So I just want to acknowledge that, okay? And that, the, the validation piece, right? Very much piggy banks on the compassion piece, which is many of us, right? Spend a lot of time in our experience beating ourselves up. And that is so deep rooted in society and the stigma around mental health. And again, the, you know, this positivity culture and just be happy. Right. Um, and compassion, right. If we're looking at compassion, so compassion is take empathy, which empathy is, you know, if I'm going to have empathy for you, cat, in your experience, empathy is, you know what? I understand. I see you. I hear you. Right. Compassion says all of that. Right. I understand. I see you. I hear you. And I want to help. How can I support? Right. So now, right, take that concept, right, and turn it on ourselves. That's self-compassion, right? So not only, right, are we validating ourselves, right, we're being kind to ourselves, right? We're actually asking ourselves, like, hey, like, how can I, how can I support myself in this, right? To just, again, meet myself where I am, which is in a really difficult place, and hold my hand during it, quite frankly, right? Give myself a hug in it because- You know, I think we have this and God, I've spent a lot of time as a therapist, right? Feeling this way. And, you know, I think it's very true for many of us, right? When our loved ones are struggling, man, we want to fix, we want to problem solve, we want to alleviate, we want to take it away. And the reality is, is very, very rarely can we actually take away someone's pain and suffering. Very rarely can we fix it right? Very rarely. I mean, I don't think there's ever been 
a single moment in my experience of all the trauma, the anxiety, the pain, the panic that someone else has had the magic answer. Never, right? What we can do is be with. Uh, We can have people that can be with us and we can be with ourselves in a really supportive and loving way. And so that is... That is validation and compassion. And I think that opens the door, right, for us to actually be resilient human beings, right? You know, and we have such a misconception around compassion that, oh my gosh, well, if I, especially for athletes, right, that we live in this world of like, tough it out, uh, don't show emotion, right? Like be really tough, be mentally tough. I don't even use the word mentally tough. It kills me, right? Because every single one of my clients, every single one of my athletes is tough right? We don't need to be more tough. We need to be more compassionate because compassion, right? Validation and compassion actually allow us, right? To navigate more efficiently. They do. Um, So I think this piece of, again, learning how to do that for ourselves is really big because I really want all my athletes and my clients to get to a place where they don't have to rely on that for others. I think that's really important. Um, So yeah. What else do we have there? What's like a, what's like a tip? What's like a trick to kind of implement self-compassion? Like, is there anything you do in your day-to-day where you kind of like maybe find yourself not being self-compassionate and are able to write, write the ship a little bit that you can give the audience? Yeah. So um, again, it's kind of goes back to like mindfulness lays the foundation for self-compassion. So even like when we even start to like do something like a mindful check-in, right. And we're starting to check, right. And kind of remove some of our judgment, like that's a self-compassionate response. Right. Um, And so one of the things I like people to really think about uh, with both validation, and I kind of mentioned this, right. Like doing some exploration and some research on like, what feels good for me in terms of validating myself, right? Like I gave you my example, right? And I've done a lot of work to kind of get to that place where I've kind of established that dialogue and that response for myself. So start there with the validation piece. But we can also kind of do the same thing with self-compassion, right? So like, what does what does a compassionate response feel like to you? And when maybe in the past have you received that? So for me, right, a great example with like my mom and my sister is like a compassionate response from them is just like, I love you. You're not wrong. You're not broken. You are worthy and you are lovable, right? That is an extremely compassionate response for someone that is highly anxious or really navigating something hard, right? And so how I might then craft and kind of give that to myself, right? Is, and I love mantras. I'm a mantra person. I even like, I write them out a lot. So like, um, you know, this is, um, I, I have them all over the place, right? So making them really visible is is also can be key for a lot of people. Um, but then being able to like taking some of that, like what people have given you in terms of compassion, right? And then being able to craft and see how you can give that to yourself, right? So a lot of times, right? The compassionate response um, or, or a way that I compassionately respond to myself, right? Is is it really in those moments, like reminding myself, like, wait, uh, like I am worthy, right? And then also combining that with action too. Like what's an action that is a compassionate response? And that can a lot of times align with what we call self-care. I think self-care is, um, it can get tricky because self-care has kind of morphed into, especially in mainstream society, this like super lush and luxurious thing, right? Like, and it really doesn't have to be. Like taking care of yourself can be like brushing your hair. Taking, like self-care can be just like um, waking up and taking a shower, right? Self-care can be not going to your workout class because you're so burnt out and exhausted and actually what you need is rest, right? So kind of coupling that with, you know, not just this compassion piece of like a, a more like, mental or emotional response, but also action, right? What are, what are the things that feel compassionate to you? Um, for me, I'll tell you, I'll give you a great example. Like more often than not, when I am really struggling, like self-compassion for me looks like letting myself sleep. Right. So just thinking kind of, and I actually have a, um, I have a whole three-part blog series on self-compassion on my, um, on my blog. That's a really good resource. It kind of breaks whole, like, it's so a three phase, like breaks down self-compassion and how you can start to kind of craft, um, 
self-compassionate responses to yourself. So that can be another resource if you want to check that out, but that's, does that help kind of give totally we'll also link, link that resource in the show notes. Um, that kind of guides us into breath work. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what is breath work? Yeah. So it does because, um, you know, breath work for many people, right, can be a form of compassion, right? T- giving themselves kind of a, a breather, quote unquote. So breath work, also another one that as it's hit mainstream society, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. Um, breath work to me is really understanding that at a basic level, we breathe automatically, right? We don't have to think about, this is an involuntary process for us as humans. We don't have to think about breathing. And so- Breath work to me, how I define it is just simply bringing intentionality to your breath. That does not mean, right, that we have to manipulate it in any way, shape or form, right? It just means that I'm actually starting to bring awareness, right, to a process that happens automatically. Um, And I really am such a huge proponent of like, that's that's the place everyone should be starting with breath work. Like just establishing there's a there's a teacher um her company is called subtle yoga and her name i'm blanking on but she has this beautiful quote that says like just you know the foundation of breath work is simply establishing a relationship with your breath because again this piece of breath that we just don't think about, right? It just happens automatically. And I always say like, thank God for that, because if we actually had to think about breathing, we would be dead, right? So it's amazing that it happens automatically, but breath work, right? The foundation of breath work is starting to just have awareness and bring some intention to your breath, right? Know that you are breathing. So I think, and I'm going to- What is, what is that like, I guess, what does that mean? Like, does that just mean like, okay, I'm taking an inhale, I'm taking an X, like, is that kind of what you mean by being intentional? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. yeah. So it that's part of it, right? Like knowing that you're breathing in and out, but also really feeling yourself breathe. So bringing awareness to the actual process of inhaling and exhaling, right? So when we're starting to bring intentionality to breath, we're starting to bring awareness around the fact that like, Hey, when I breathe in, I inhale through my nose and air comes down my throat and my lungs start to expand, which means my ribs, right. Actually move in 360 degrees and my diaphragm goes down and my belly goes out. Right. Um, and we can do that. And I really like to teach starting with just how do we feel our breath, right? Not necessarily thinking at our about our breath. We will think about it, right? But really feeling it and absorbing all of the sensation around breathing. And when you really start to do that, you're like, wow, holy crap. Like there, there can be quite a bit of sensation and feeling there, right? So if we were to do this right now and I were to kind of take you through this and listeners, you can do this as well, right? Um, I would invite you to find some type of comfortable posture. It does not matter. You don't even need to be seated. You could be standing, walking, wherever you are, right? You could even do this driving. And um, I, I encourage you to just breathe. You don't need to change or alter your breath in any way. More often than not, we're leaving the mouth closed and we're inhaling and exhaling through the nose, but feel free to inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth. But seeing if just for this brief moment, can you actually inhale and where do you feel that inhale? Do you feel something at the nose, the nostrils? Do you feel the chest, the rib cage? Do you feel the belly move? And then what's it feel like to breathe out? just starting to kind of, again, we're using mindfulness here, right? We're just kind of very kind of curiously paying attention kind of as an explorer being like, huh, what's going on here? You know? And so the reason we, it's, it can be really important to establish a relationship, right? Bring some intentionality and awareness around the breath is because the breath is 
um, very indicative of how we're doing mentally and physically, right? Um, the breath is very um, intimately linked to our nervous system, which we talked about the nervous system in um, uh, my, the first episode that we did, right? The nervous system is really the controller of the body. It's the communication between the brain and the body. Um, by way of nerves and they go, you know, from the brain all through the, um, the spinal cord and out through body, right? We've, we've got a, a couple different, it's, it's very complex, right? Um, but the breath it is very much the controller of our nervous system actually because of, um, again, if you get into a little bit of the anatomy, right? The, uh, how the lungs expand and contract, right? Um, when we breathe in, air goes into our lungs, our lungs expand. It actually pushes on the heart a little bit. And there's also something called the vagus nerve, which it, it influences the vagus nerve. Um, and we actually, um, the, the inhale is linked to more of what's called our sympathetic nervous system, right? Which our sympathetic nervous system is going to be that what we many of us think of as that kind of fight or flight response, but really it's just mobilization, right? Um, we, we need our sympathetic nervous system. It's important. Um, the, the exhale, right. When we breathe out lung, uh, air exits the lungs, right. Creates a little bit more space for the heart. And it's linked to the parasympathetic nervous system, which, um, the parasympathetic nervous system actually has two branches, but the the more so branch that we're talking about, right, is called this ventral vagal, which is um, what we consider um, as kind of that rest and digest, right? So quickly you see how um, intimately linked, right, the breath is to our nervous system and to our overall health and well-being, right? So establishing a relationship with your breath is establishing a relationship with your health and your well-being and how we're doing in any given moment. Now, what we're seeing a lot of in the world right now is manipulation of the breath. Not wrong or bad, right? Um, we can manipulate the breath uh, and control the breath in strategic ways to help our mind, body, nervous system out, right? So one of the things we see quite often or is talked about quite often, right, is belly breathing, right? So when we're talking about belly breathing, we don't actually breathe down into our belly, but we take more relaxed, intentional inhales that allow the diaphragm, the lungs to really fill up and the diaphragm to press down, which presses the belly out, right? Um, our internal organs need to go somewhere, when the lungs fill up and the diaphragm presses down, right? And so the belly breathing, right, um, is uh, has been linked to, again, that parasympathetic response, that more rest and digest response, as well as lengthening the exhale. So all of this to say, again, we can manipulate the breath to our advantage, to really help ourselves out in different experiences, okay? Um, I am, again, because of how linked it is to the nervous system and just knowing that, you know, everybody is coming to life with different nervous systems, lived experience, identity, all the above, like the breath can very much impact us. And so mm -hmm. we want to establish, start with just get to know it, get to know your natural breath, right? Um, and then we can build from there and slowly start to implement things that might shift or change our physiology and how we're feeling, if that makes sense. That does make sense where, so I think it's, it's a good, like starting place is just like becoming aware where can people go if they're interested in learning more about different breath work techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, one, I've got some stuff on my YouTube channel. Um, I think it's really, it's going to depend on the person. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I've definitely got some, a couple practices on my like social media channels and stuff, but, um, you know, I kind of think of it as, um, you know, and this is where like, it's such a catch 22 because there's so much stuff on social media and it's kind of like, well, how do you know what's right for you? So, I'm a huge advocate of like, okay, so starting with the, again, the foundational, like just get to know your breath and then working with someone, like mm -hmm. whether it's a therapist, um, whether it's because that working with someone or really starting more so like with mindfulness first to really understand like what's happening, 
you know, we alter the breath, we manipulate the breath uh, for a reason, right? We need to be really careful and understand what that reason is, right? Are you walking around living in more of what's called a sympathetic state, highly anxious, very stressed out? Therefore, we would want to be tapping into more belly breathing or what we call down-regulating practices, right? Um, then great, go towards that, right? Go towards more of that, like what we call that parasympathetic activation with breath work, right? But that's not everybody, right? That's a lot of people, but it's not everybody, okay? So I think it very much depends. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, I hesitate to kind of like give a general, I don't think there is like a great just general resource. I think yeah. it's more like, figuring out and really using mindfulness and working with someone to figure out like where you are and how breath work may you serve you. Right. And I'm a huge, I think really with any, any practice, to be honest with you, like, because of, we, we need to always honor and respect that individuals are coming to different experiences from different places. So like, A, this is why I love mindfulness because I think that gives people more agency and understanding of like where their starting place is. And then that can give them direction of, on like, where do I need to go with this? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, I think it was helpful though, like to learn more, you know, like YouTube, there's social media. Um, it sounds like working with someone is probably the better place to start just because you can kind of maybe get that insight of like, okay, what do I really need versus trial and error? Um, but it sounds like there's a lot of resources just to like learn more about breath work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let me, let me say this, cause I think this might also help, right? Like one of the, and I'm a huge um, I think this is big for like, just really, because there's so much information out there for any, any type of practice, to be honest with you, even, even mental health stuff, right? Like more, you know, because you see so many therapists putting out like, you know, Hey, this hack or this hack or this, you know, two-step process, right? The biggest thing, right. Is okay. So if we come to trying something and I've, I've 1000% been there, right? Like somebody posts something and I'm like, Oh, that looks interesting. I'm going to try it. One, before we engage in anything, tapping in, right, tuning in, using mindfulness to really assess like what our baseline starting place is, trying a practice, right, if that feels like that's something you want to do, but then following that up with really taking some time to process and to ask yourself, how did that practice, how did what I just engaged in land with me? Did it change anything? Did it impact anything, right? Because I think part of the problem is we we as humans, we don't always take the time to do that, right? So here's a great example. Like somebody could look at a breathwork practice online, do it, and then not, not take the time to notice that that actually amped their system up, right? They're actually finishing that breathwork practice and like they're more on edge. They're more irritated, right? But we just launch back into our day-to-day, right? And mm-hmm. don't take the time to like notice how that impacted us, right? Whereas if we, right, follow up these practices, again, anything that we're going to try, whether it's breath work, movement, something that's more reflective, right? With, huh, like, how did that impact me? It's not necessarily right or wrong, but like, I'm going to take the raw data from how that affected me because if I do, then I might notice, wow, I actually feel more irritated right now. Mm. Wow. I actually feel, I do feel calmer. Great. Yeah. Right. Then, you know, right. You're gaining information and you're saying, oh, okay. I have a reference point, right? Oh, that is a practice that actually more often than not calms me down or, oh, that's a practice that actually leaves me feeling more irritated and amped up. So then, right, we start to give ourselves more data points and then we start to kind of um, can settle into routines, implementing things more and more. So I think that's a general like strategy that I would encourage people to follow. To layer into that, do you think it's helpful in like thinking through first, like how do I, what's my goal? Like, where do I want to, or I don't really like the term goal, but like how mm-hmm. do I want to feel after this? Like, yeah. do I want to feel like I have more energy? Do I want to feel like I'm more focused? Do I want to feel like I'm a little bit yeah. calmer so that you can kind of track against at the end of it? Like, Hey, maybe I wanted to feel calmer, but I'm actually feeling like I have more energy. Maybe this is something like, is that a helpful practice to also think about? 
Yeah, it can for sure. And also like, I think this is such the catch 22 about social media is that like, you know, people will smack a label on like, do this to calm yourself down. And then what happens is we'll do it. Right. And it doesn't actually calm us down. It has the opposite effect. Right. And then we feel like we did it wrong or mm-hmm. we feel like we're wrong. Right. And I really want to, I really want to normalize that. Right. Because again, it gets back to this, like everything is so individual and nuanced. So Yes, there is going to be a little bit of like, what's, what is the goal? But I think also so much of that goal can be figured out, especially right. If we are navigating intense mental health challenges, right. It's really important to be working with someone in my opinion, right. Because I've had clients in the past come to me and like, Hey, I really want to try this. Right. When in reality, I know like, Hey, actually, that has the potential to have the opposite effect on your nervous system. Right. So I think it's just, it's so nuanced, but yes, that can be one way. Right. And also honoring and really respecting that like, okay, so if I didn't land at more calm after this practice, there's nothing wrong with me. I didn't necessarily do it wrong. Right. Just something about that. Right didn't actually serve or support me. So you know what? Maybe then that's a good time to actually go ask a professional, right? Mm-hmm. Or to go ask someone that has more experience in it, right? Or to steer away from that given yeah. experience, right? So yes. I'd like to take a second to talk about Morgan's message, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Morgan's message was founded in July of 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers, a beloved sister, daughter, and fiercely loyal friend. Morgan's message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. We aim to expand the dialogue on mental health by normalizing conversations, empowering those who suffer in silence, and supporting those who feel alone. To find out more, to get involved, or to just follow along, you can head to morgansmessage.org or find us on Instagram at morgansmessage. With that, let's get back to Emily. thing to chat on is movement which I love movement Uh um I mean there's there's probably a reason that having a dog has helped kind of with my own mental health um but I'd love to talk about movement and how you can kind of use it in your everyday yeah yeah I mean I think we're we're also like a culture that's like you know pro movement right pro exercise there's so much out there that's like hey exercise is like the key to well-being well yes and right um there's a spectrum of movement right um that we really need to honor um great example movement if I'm sitting here at my computer working and I'm starting to feel just really, I don't know, burnout, stress, tapped out. Movement for me might look like, but I but I know I still have to get a lot done. Movement for me might be taking my computer, getting up and going to a different room. Mm-hmm. And that that can have the ability to impact, right? My my mind and my body. So, you know, whereas again, I think, you know, mainstream society would say, oh, get up and go for a run, right? That's very, right. There's a spectrum. Okay. So, um, just knowing that, yes, right. Because we are, again, we talked a lot about this in, in the first episode that we did this kind of mind body connection, knowing that, um, our mental health is, um, our, our mental health and our overall being right is a connection between the mind and the body and movement can be, extremely helpful for navigating overall well-being, but also our mental health and our kind of moment to moment experience. So I think it is, and this starts to kind of like dip its toe into like this new wave of what we call somatic therapy, right? These more body-based techniques and interventions. But 
something that I really encourage my athletes to kind of think about is like, yes. So let's start with the, the sheer fact that like, absolutely. Right. Going for a workout, right. Going to hit the gym, going to practice, right. Where there's physical exertion. Plus also, you know, there, there is obviously a mental component, right. If you're going to practice, um, but that can, that could be huge, right. We know, I mean, how many times I feel, I felt it this morning. I woke up this morning and I was like, oh my God, I do not want to go to spin class, right? <laughs> but you know what? I've paid the 30 bucks to go. So I'm going to go. And I, oh my God, like 45 minutes of cycle class, I walked out of there feeling so much better. Right. I actually had more energy. Right. So that's a real thing. And also knowing that we don't always have to go to spin class, right? To to make an impact and to use movement to our advantage. Okay. So um let's just do a little um a little practice here. I'll kind of guide you through it. Um to just give you kind of again uh, uh a why am I at a loss for words? Just kind of an example of again that continuum of movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, you're seated in a chair. I'm seated in a chair. Um, for our listeners, you don't have to be seated. You can even be walking, but just kind of listen to, um, what, what I'm directing you. Right. So, um, let's start by just kind of having a posture that feels comfortable, right. Knowing that, um, we are going to be kind of moving our arms here. So those just, you want those to kind of be accessible. Right. Um, and let's just kind of take a round of, um, what I call intentional breath in. So it doesn't need to be big or altered in any way. I just want you to kind of take a breath in and know that you're breathing and then take a breath out and know that you're letting that go. Right. And then on your next breath in, I just want you to start to slowly sweep your hands out to the side and then reach them up over your head and kind of just kind of give me a reach, a stretch. And then on your exhale, I just want you to drop the arms back down at your side. Let's do that one more time. So take the inhale and the pace of this on your own. Just going to start to sweep the arms up overhead, maybe stretching a little bit further this time. And then when it feels good, you're just going to take your arms back down by your side. And so let's just kind of push pause there, right? And I just want you to kind of reflect, check in. What was that like? Did anything shift or change for you? What do you feel? Do you feel anything, right? You know, I know for me, like this whole week, I've been carrying quite a little bit of, quite a little bit, no, quite a lot of bit of tension, (laughs) right? And stress, which very much resides like in my upper back and my shoulders. Right. So I can tell you, right. And just doing that. And like, we're having a great conversation. So I'm engaged and energized, but like, I even feel just like a little bit more balanced. I'll say after that. Right. Um, I don't know. You tell me, how was that for you? It felt good. I felt like I like, am not even in a state where I feel like stressed or I'm holding on to a lot of things, but even so I felt more like mm-hmm. a little notch down of like, okay, like when I sit for a while, I get uncomfortable. That kind of was nice for me to, yeah. Yeah. Such a tiny little movement. Like it wasn't much at all. Right. No, I mean, it's just lifting your hands up over your head. Right. But, um, and I also want to acknowledge, like for those of you that are listening that maybe tried that and you, you did that. Right. And you're like, nothing changed. I didn't, I didn't notice anything. Great. Fine. Right. That's not, again, our, our reaction or response is not right or wrong. Right. It just tells us something. So for both of us, right, what that little bit of movement told us is like, oh, that was supportive, right? That was helpful. Um, And so that now tells us, right, that like, okay, maybe we can incorporate a little bit of that throughout our day, throughout our workday, right? Um, Maybe, maybe our listeners need something more, like something else I'll do is like, I, my, like, my yoga mat is like behind here in my office. And so something I'll often do is like put my legs up in the middle of the day, right? Um, that is, even though it's a restorative posture, right. The, the act of going over and doing that can be that, that is movement. Right. So again, just kind of highlights this, this idea of, you know, using movement to support us. Right. Um, and, uh, I, I think it is, and this is why I love, I love yoga. Right. Um, and I love restorative postures in particular, because I think they can really do such a beautiful job of kind of like meeting ourselves where we are. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of, um, what I, um, you know, I'm also a walker, like 
walking is how I process. Walking is how I sort through my mental and emotional space. So I would encourage athletes, people listening to, to just really think about this concept of movement. And again, I think this gets to this piece of how for a really long time we've thought of mental health, but even just like, um, you know, feelings and emotions, right. Of like changing our thoughts, right. Or, um, working with the more cognitive element of our experience. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm also saying that there's this whole other part of the equation, right. Which is the physical and movement can be such a, um, a beautiful way to attend to our experience. I love, I love the, I, I love that you continue to kind of bring in like, this might work for you and this might not. And that's totally okay. Either way. Like for me, when I think about like, I think in high school, it was always like, oh, like you're stressed, like go for a run, go do this. Like I have never in my life enjoyed going for a run. Like <laughs> I was always yeah. so envious of like my friends who were like, I'm just going to run like a quick three miles. Like one of my best friends and my roommate for a few years, like her stress reducer is running 10 miles on a Saturday morning. And I'm like, God bless. Like, I'm so happy, you know, it works for you, but like, could not be me. And for so long, I tried to fit myself into a box of like, you know, everyone's saying that like running is stress, you know, no, it was stress inducing for me. Yeah, right. like, Why am I running? I fucking mm-hmm. hate this. My body hurts. I don't feel better. <laughs> and I finally, I think like after, I mean, a little bit in school, like I, I finally was like, you know what? I love a fast walk. Like I love putting my shoes on, putting my headphones in, whether it be a podcast, whether it be music, whether it actually be like nothing and me just like looking at the beautiful surroundings of like Durham, North Carolina or like Boston, Massachusetts. Like that's what works for me. And so I'm going to lean into this. And Mm -hmm. I like feel like that's like one example, but I'm sure like you have others too of like, okay, like everyone's saying this one thing, but like, there's nothing wrong with me for not, not being in that camp. And like, it's totally fine to be like, nope, not for me because my body is my body. Their body is their body. Like Mm -hmm. I got to do what feeds me and doesn't like drain me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're hundred percent right. I've never been a runner either. Um, and I never will be, I don't, I don't enjoy it. Doesn't, um, I don't feel like it actually like supports me in any way. And so, yeah, you're hundred percent right. Like the, this movement piece is again, one, it occurs on a, on a continuum, like it's a spectrum. Um, movement can literally be as simple as like rolling your shoulders out. Right. Um, again, this example of like moving from one room to another, right. Um, going for a walk, running a 10 K right. Like, but really knowing that, yeah, at, at the end of the day, there is no necessarily like right or wrong, right. In terms of what works for you or what doesn't work for you. I think that's super important because you're right. Like many of us can feel, um, yeah, we can feel weird. We can feel wrong. Right. That like, oh my God, like that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. I don't like that. Right. And I, I would never want, um, that gets back to what we were talking about in the first episode around choice, right? Like, Um, it's just, it's a really important element of navigating our mental health. So knowing that so much of this, like, you know, again, if we go even back to the breathwork stuff, like there are some athletes that love breathwork, feel it's super supportive for them. And there are others that hate it. And that's actually very normal. Many people that struggle with, um, you know, anxiety, particular post-traumatic stress, like breathwork is actually more anxiety producing, Right. And that makes a lot of sense. So there isn't a, you know, you always want to take, um, you know, you, you yourself, your, your mind, body system and, and what is supportive to you as the, the starting place. How would you recommend? Cause I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, I want to, I want to try things and I want to try new things, even though they can be scary. And, and again, like having that, I think comes back around of like validation of how you're feeling, but non-judgment judgment and like almost like self-compassion with trying new things like I think when I first got into yoga it was very it felt like very overwhelming because I was like all these people can do all these crazy things like what am I doing here like what would be kind of something you could give to the audience of like 
you know, trying these new things, like how, how can you get to a space where I'm, tr- I'm trying to find my words, like almost like have that self-compassion and like non-judgment of like, try it once if it, and, and I feel like there's been little themes of this, but yeah, I don't know. Do you, yeah. you know what I'm kind of saying? Cause I feel like yeah, it'd be hard to try new things. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's so much of a, um, you know, <laughs> gosh, I mean, get back to kind of like the, the safety and choice piece, right. Is like, I'm such a, like anytime that I'm going to go to like a new class or a new studio, like I do my homework. Like I look at, you know, like what's the space, like what's the, what's the teacher like, right. Is there any information on that? Is there information on the actual structure of the class, the level of the class, right. I know like we're, we're talking more, you know, larger than group fitness here. Right. But like, that's, a, I think that's a good example, right. Of like, um, you know, don't be afraid to like do your homework and um, do what is needed to be done to make you feel as safe as possible in your exploration of things, right? Um, I think also, you know, um, seeing if there are steps, right, to what you want to try. So for example, right, if you're sitting here, you're a former athlete and let's just go off kind of the yoga piece. Right. And you've never tried it before, but you're like, everybody keeps, you know, saying great things about it. Like try an on, try an online class where you take it from home. Right. And you have, you're in full control, right. Of your own body. Right. Um, the, you know, what you try and what you don't try. Um, and then maybe the next time you go to an in-person class, right? I'm just giving examples of mm-hmm. like, you know, how there are levels and generally like I try to do that with myself as well. Like um, just scale new experiences in a way that allow, cause you know, if you're anything like me, like for a really long time, I had this very like athlete mentality of like, no, if you're going to do something, like you're going to do it like the hardest level and the most extreme and you're going to like go for it all the way. And we don't have to do that in life, right? Like, you know, like take it, take it at a pace, take it at a, like a a level that feels good to you. And so kind of like easing your way into things. Um, I think also this can be where like community can be really helpful, right? Like um, a lot of times what I'll do if I'm looking to like try something new is like, you know, do I know someone that already does this or has experienced this or has experience with this, right? That I can talk to about it, right? That can that can validate my experience, right? Or can really support me in this. So I think those are a couple ways. I love that. Um, we are just about a time. And I was wondering if sort of like a closing question, if there's anything you kind of want to leave the audience with. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we were talking mostly in this episode, right? Giving kind of like, some more like tangible, um, you know, not only tools, but like things to be thinking about really, you know, coming back to just this concept that, you know, mental health and well-being are constantly changing, evolving. Um, I even said it, I said it so much in that first session, but like no two days are the same, no two minutes are the same. Um, and so also making space, using that concept to make space that like, sometimes the tools and the skills and things that we're using as our healing, healing, you know, um, or things that we're using within our healing journey, those change too. And it's okay to have those change. Right. So, you know, maybe again, I'm just going to get back to this like breathwork practice. I'll tell you, like when I first started um, you know, launching into a lot of the the mindfulness and the meditation stuff. Like I loved breath work, loved it, you know, was constantly doing it, felt like that was more accessible than meditation. And now I'm kind of in a phase where like breath work doesn't feel accessible to me right now. Right. Because of what I'm, I'm navigating, um, in terms of like my just heightened anxiety. And so I'm actually like taking a break from some of my breathwork practices and I'm leaning more on, you know, more movement-based and body-based practices, right? So just really honoring the fact that like within our mental health journey, right? Mm -hmm. The things that are helpful and supportive also don't stay the same and that is okay, right? The goal is always to 
be assessing, right, where we are and what is going to be supportive and make space for the fact that those may change. Um, I think that's just really helpful because that can be another thing that we kind of like beat ourselves up about. Right. And the other thing we don't want to be doing is like, so, you know, if I was still sitting in this pace, this place of like really trying to force breath work and like really trying to like, why isn't this working? Right. Mm -hmm. This is, this was such a, you know, a, a supportive and safe practice for me. And why, why isn't it working? Like just work, right. Just keep doing it when actually it's having the opposite effect on me. And so I'm actually not supporting myself in any way, right? So just really making space, you know, for, for our listeners knowing that like, you know, even the tools and the skills, right? All of the stuff, you know, we're trying to support ourselves with, like that's gonna change. Um, and yeah. it's okay that it changes. It actually makes a lot of sense, right? As we continue to evolve as people. So I think that's what I would leave people with um, uh, on uh, with with this episode. That's awesome. Um, I'm like, thank you again for coming on and sharing tips, tricks, even like relating them back to your own life. I mean, I feel like I'm walking away with some good learnings and I hope, you know, the audience is too, but thank you for sharing your time with us. Absolutely. Any, any day. So, so thankful for all that you've done and the work that, that we're, we're all doing together here at Morgan's message. So thank you so much for having me. Another huge thank you to Emily for coming on the Mental Matchup, not once, not twice, but three times, and for being a member of the Morgan's Message team. I'm really grateful that I personally have her as a resource and a friend and a colleague, and I'm so glad that now the audience has her, you know, as as this incredible resource to really learn from. If you want to check out Emily, you can head to Instagram find Perrin Wellness and Performance or Emily Perrin. Uh, she's great and she has a lot of really, really great Instagram reels uh, that I I find myself going back to when I need a quick reminder of breath work or even just, you know, take a deep breath, put your legs up on the wall. Um, those are great. If you want to get in touch with the mental matchup, if you want to share your story or if you have something you feel like you could talk about to discuss with people, let's do it. Head to morgansmessage.org or you can email submission at morgansmessage.org. And last but not least, a huge thank you to Morgan's Message for presenting the mental matchup. We truly would not be here without the organization and what we're doing together to try to destigmatize mental health and bring out share these stories um, is really, really important. So if you want to get involved with Morgan's message, if you want to find out more, or if you're just interested to see what's going on over there, you can head to morgansmessage.org or find us on Instagram at morgansmessage. With that, we'll see you next episode.